0: is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand, glad to be back for another day. What a game last night. Um, if you stayed up and watched it, didn't even have to stay up that late. It was a crisply played game, too. I don't think it was, a, I, was I don't think the Vikings 22 to 17 win over the 49ers took much took us much past 10 p.m. central time and it was a Really good performance from start to finish. I would dare say that's the best the Vikings have played since week one last year. That's a strange thing to say, right? This is a team that won 13 games a season ago, but you know, a lot of those were hold on or come back or they weren't just weren't entirely impressive. And certainly this season, They have not been impressive in their first six games. Neither of their two wins nor any of their four losses really impressed me all that much. I was impressed, though, and I think a lot of you were too, a lot of the national folks were too, by their performance on Monday. And how I want to get into this is just to talk about all the narratives that changed with just three hours of football. Uh, Let's start with Kirk Cousins. We all know his primetime record, his Monday night record, was not great i think it was two and ten coming into the game although it had been better lately he'd won a couple monday night games recently but the knock on kirk cousins over the years has been when the lights get brighter he tends to fade now i don't think all of that is entirely fair because if you look at the record he hasn't played all that poorly in a lot of those monday night games he's just been you know on the wrong end of bad defenses or hasn't quite gotten it done in the end and you know one thing we do know, too, about primetime games is they tend to be against better opponents. The matchups are good, so sometimes you do get a you know a tougher game in those scenarios. But anyway, the narrative is that Kirk Cousins can't get it done in primetime on Monday night. He was excellent on Monday. I know he threw an interception, um, ripped out of Jordan Addison's hands on the first possession of the game. After that, and even that wasn't totally his fault, but after that... Um, I didn't have much quibble at all with any of his decisions, with his toughness in the pocket, with how he delivered on third downs time after time. And that was a game where you had to extend drives, where you had to keep a certain sense of momentum going. And I thought he did a great job of that in this game. He threw for almost 400 yards against a really good defense, made Jordan Addison um, the featured receiver, and Jordan Addison delivered over 100 yards, two touchdowns, When they do get Justin Jefferson back, and with the emergence now, the further emergence of Jordan Addison, six touchdowns already on the season, uh, they have to feel really good about that. But they have to feel especially good about the way Cousins played on Monday night, and that's a that's a definite narrative change. Where else did the narrative change? Offensive line. Um, You know, we talked earlier, I think it was last week, about pro football focus giving the Vikings the basically the number one run blocking grade and number three pass blocking grade in the entire NFL through the season's first like five or six games and you know we we're kind of skeptical about that you look at that and the running game has not been great uh, cousins has seemed to be under duress although his pressure rate this year is actually not all that high maybe some of that is some of that's probably getting the ball out quick and some of that frankly is that you know, they've been getting um that he's been getting better protection than maybe we realize. And that protection was very good against the 49ers. Uh, Christian Darrisaw was terrific. I thought Dalton Reisner making his first start um in place of the injured Ezra Cleveland. I thought he was really good in this game. I see no reason that he should come out of the lineup anytime soon, even when Ezra Cleveland is presumably healthy at some point. So, You know, the offensive line is far from a problem. I don't know if it's becoming a strength yet, but it was a strength on Monday. I want to see it for more games than that. I want to see it with the eye test and not just grades from Pro Football Focus. But the eye test matched those lofty grades, at least in that 49ers game. And that was a big test because they've got a lot of guys up front, they've got, you know, playmakers at every level. That was a test for the offensive line, and they passed um more than we could have imagined because they had to throw the ball a lot they couldn't run the ball great but they did okay in the run game i think they averaged like three almost four yards a carry so they they did okay there they were fine Um, but i was really impressed with pass protection and how they held up against a tough front and that has not been the case a lot of the last oh i don't know 10 to 20 years the narrative certainly is changing on defense as well um three takeaways in the game All of them, Cam Bynum had a hand in a forced fumble and two interceptions. Games they've won this season, they've given up 13, 13, and 17 points now. Brian Flores' defense starting to figure this out. I know, you know, the 49ers were playing without Trent Williams, playing without Debo Samuel, but they still have plenty of very good players. Christian McCaffrey played pretty much played the whole game. He looked like he was unaffected by that oblique injury that he was carrying that injury designation into the week. Um, So that was a test for the defense. That was the best the defense I think has played this year against a very good offense. Their other two wins against Carolina and Chicago. Those are not great offenses in both of those games. They really only gave up seven points because they had defensive, they scored defensive points in those games as well. And one of them, they gave up an offensive touchdown. So. Those games, the defense won. This was a more balanced effort, but this game, they certainly needed the defense, especially because the offense left some points on the board. If we have quibbles about this game, it was leaving some points on the board with some first-and-goal situations that didn't cash in to touchdowns or Greg Joseph missing an extra point and a 50-yard field goal late that would have given them a bigger cushion. So you're thinking, okay, San Francisco takes over at the 40 with a little over a minute left. That's a lot to put on the defense. San Francisco did need a touchdown in that scenario, but that's a lot to put on the defense. And they come up with the big play again, Cam Bynum with his second straight interception. He's becoming a really nice player, by the way. Um, You know, someone who was, I think, a fourth-round pick in uh in 2021 the last rick spielman draft he was an early uh daily delivery guest so shout out to cam bynum for for coming on the show right after he got drafted in 2021 i think he did the backflip into a lake after he got drafted just a nice guy a, a, a cool story guy and a guy who's really becoming a important part of this defense. You know, a guy who's worked his way up, played a lot of special teams, became a starter last year, had his moments last year, but really seems like he's becoming a integral piece of this defense. And they can use that because I don't, you know, I don't feel like besides Daniel Hunter, um, they necessarily have a lot of kind of cornerstone playmakers, but he became that player on Monday the whole defense became you know stout when it needed to be on Monday held the 49ers to a little over 300 yards turned them over three times got off the field when they needed to i think the defense is again kind of like the offensive line not we can't call them an asset yet but we can we can look at it and say this piece of the Vikings feels like it was better than a year ago. And so now if the offense can catch up, and it caught up some yesterday, even with the points left on the board, if the offense can catch up, then you start to believe that, hey, maybe this team can be better than you thought. Narrative change number four, luck. I talked about this and wrote about this on Monday. The Vikings had been the unluckiest team in the NFL by a wide margin coming into this game. Um, they, they gauge luck, in four different areas, they gauge it on um, opponent, does an opponent drop an interception, does an opponent drop passes, fumble recoveries for either team, and opposing field goals. Vikings got quite a bit of luck in this game if you look at it from those lenses. They recovered the only fumble that was on the ground in this game, and that was the one by Christian McCaffrey that easily could have been in, uh, easily could have been um, recovered by the 49ers. They had a shot at it early. Vikings fall on it instead. That becomes pretty much the game turning play. If San Francisco goes in and scores off of that Kirk Cousins interception, makes it seven nothing. I think that's an entirely different game. Instead, the Vikings get that ball back, recover it. Just before it goes out of bounds, and then take the ball 89 yards, I think, on the next drive, all the way down for a touchdown. So they're up 7 0 instead. That is making your own luck, but that is also fortune. Recovering a fumble, there's a lot of luck to that because, hey, it's just a ball on the ground. It's a scramble. You don't know who's going to jump on it. It's 11 on 11. Ball's going to bounce weird ways. And if it goes your way, there is an element of luck to that. Also, 49ers kicker missed a 40-yard field goal that had a chance to change momentum early in the game as well. Big one too late in the first half. Looked like the 49ers had a chance at another interception, but in that case, Jordan Addison able to rip the ball away, run that thing in for a 60-yard score right before the break. Another huge play in that game. So element of luck changed in that game dramatically. I don't know the data on it, but I would say the Vikings had luck on their side. Again, luck not so much hey you got completely lucky or you got all these breaks but elements that maybe are 50 50 have some element of randomness or chance and those went the vikings way on monday when they haven't most most of the season now what does it all add up to narrative change number five the narrative on their season much like the narrative of the gopher season the other day when that changed that has changed dramatically going into the game New York Times gave the Vikings a 29% chance to make the playoffs. I thought that was, you know, fairly generous but kind of accurate based on where they stand in in the uh, NFC, a pretty weak NFC at least at the bottom, and a lot of winnable games coming up. Obviously, they were expected to lose that game to the 49ers because a win changed their playoff probability in that New York Times upshot interactive graphic to 57%. Yes, the Vikings at 3 and 4 now are given a 57% chance of making the playoffs. You're like, well, how can that be? Look at their upcoming schedule. We've talked about it before, but nobody on the rest of this schedule, at least for the next five or six games, really scares you all that much. And if you look way off in the distance, you still have those two games against Detroit you know, to play towards the end of the season. So even the division is not completely out of reach, even if you look at the Lions and say, that's a better team than the Vikings right now. Wildcard-wise, though, you can see them... You know, being a factor in a lot of these games going forward. At Green Bay next week, Green Bay is struggling. Again, a game the Vikings could lose. They are still capable of losing to anybody, but they are certainly capable of beating anybody, and they should beat a lot of these teams along the way here. Whether three and four, they could easily get themselves to seven and seven, even eight and six before that. Detroit, Green Bay, Detroit finish at the end of the year. That is a dramatic change from two weeks ago where we're staring, this, staring at this and saying, hey, if they lose at Chicago, which is entirely possible, and lose to San Francisco, they're going to be 1-6, and six, completely out of the playoff race, and we're going to be looking at this and saying, hey, the trade deadline is a week away. Are they going to deal away a bunch of these guys like Daniel Hunter, KJ Osborne, even Kirk Cousins was mentioned, although he's not going to waive his no-trade clause, and probably there's no conversation to be had at that anymore because all of these things have been taken out of the equation by these two wins i'm not saying they're a great team now i am saying the narrative has changed where we're not talking about a mid-season rebuild at least we are talking about a team with a legitimate chance to get back to the playoffs and all it took was a mediocre win over a bad bears team and a very good win on monday night football
1: grand casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan the passion the hope The anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin.
0: Let's bring in Chris Hine from the Star Tribune right now to talk Timberwolves. Season starts Wednesday in Toronto. Chris will be there and... Interesting 82 games coming up, Chris. Um, it feels like a a real pivot point for this franchise just because we know of all of the looming salary questions next year when obviously we know the Ant extension kicks in, the Town Supermax kicks in. This is kind of their, their chance to show they're a team that's worth keeping together in the long haul. And I think you have to be encouraged, at least from what you saw in the preseason, even if it was just preseason.
1: Yeah, they seem like a, a much more cohesive group than they were this time a, a year ago. Um, going undefeated in the preseason isn't going to allow you to hang any banners. Don't, um, don't, don't tempt but... them. They might. <laughs> they don't have a <laughs> lot of banners to hang. so That's yeah. true. That's true. I mean, they've got a couple playing tournament banners that they can hang if they want recently. Um, but they did look a lot better. Uh, than they did at this time a year ago. It looks like, you know, Towns and Gobert. The fit seems a little more seamless. Uh, offensively, you know, I, I, it seems like they know what they want to do. Mike Conley running the show, I think, is a is a good fit. Anthony Edwards uh, looks more comfortable playing alongside Rudy Gobert. Uh, you know, everybody on social media was going crazy over one pass that he made to uh, to go bare for, right. for a lob dunk uh, and had had Wolves Twitter on, on fire on uh, Thursday night. Um, and I think defensively, I think they're going to be they're, they're going to be good defensive. They were a good defensive team last year, despite right. all the troubles. They were top ten uh, in defensive efficiency, so you expect the defense to be there. If they can rebound a little better, that that number ten defensive rating probably can creep up into the you know maybe the top five if they can just rebound the ball. Uh, and they've committed to to playing a big lineup. And I think that's one of the themes that Chris Finch has hit on coming out of camp is like, look, we got to lean into this, right? We can't, we can't run from it. We can't, you know, try to adjust to other teams. We have to make other teams adjust to us. And that means crashing the offensive glass, maybe at the sake of transition or getting back in transition, you know, that means always having two big men on the floor because Nas Reed is just too good yeah. to, to not play. Um, so this year, I think more than last year where they were just trying to figure it out and, and win games this year, they're going to be committed to having this kind of lineup on the floor at all times, because Nas Reed's going to demand 20 to 25, 25 minutes because of his play. So that's where they're at this year. And it's no longer kind of wondering is this going to work? How can we make it work? It's like, we have to make this work. That's kind of the feeling coming out of camp this year.
0: And it's interesting because we've talked about this, but this runs contrary to a lot of where the NBA and basketball in general is going. You get a lot of like four, you know, one big four smalls on the floor, spread it out and and shoot a bunch of threes. And, you know, the luxury they have, I guess, is that one of their big men, actually two of their big men happen to be very good three-point shooters. So they don't give up That by going big, but there is the, you know, the, the little voice inside my head that says, well, are they going to be able to, even if they're a good defensive team, can they defend these kind of smaller lineups or or are they going to have to adjust and how do they kind of impose their will in a league where a lot of other teams are going the other direction?
1: Well, that's exactly it, and we did see at times last year, late in the season, if the Wolves needed a a win or or whatever down the stretch of, of games, that Chris Finch did pull Gobert in some situations. Um, so I do wonder how that's going to play out end of games. Um, but in general, for the for the other, you know, let's say forty three minutes of a game, you know, the Wolves are still going to be committed to this, and the way you punish it is by going. Down into the post to these big guys if, if a team's gonna go small on you and killing them on the glass. So really it's it's offensively you, you make you make it hard for teams to stop you in that in that case. Um if, if teams are gonna go small. Um and the thing is if if the wolves can get teams in the half court, I, I I like their chances of getting a stop almost maybe more than any other team in the league with the if if all the personnel is healthy and on the floor, because I think they're a very good half court defending team. It's when they get in transition that that a small lineup could really hurt them. But I think in the half court, they could be okay at at stopping a smaller lineup. It's, you know, ending those possessions. It's getting back in transition um, that teams are probably are going to be trying to hurt them early on and we'll see we'll see if it works we'll see if the wolves's move of let's crash the glass let's you know let's do all that let's lean into to being a big team outweighs teams' strategic counters to going right. small against them i, I mean it's, it depends on the team depends on the personnel depends how good they are um you know and we'll just have to see i'm sure there will be some teams that can do that and some teams that that can't
0: we tend to like clarity, right? We want to know what what this looks like going forward and the easiest way to know is for there to be some sort of extreme. Either they're really good this year and they have a lot of motivation to make this work salary wise and maybe even dip into the tax if they need to because they feel like they're on the path for deep serious contention, or we wanna see them, you know flame out to enough of a degree that we know that they need to change course. The more likely scenario though is somewhere in the middle where they're good on they're good enough but maybe not quite good enough to be contenders yet. What what do you think is their threshold or let's let's try to decipher what the threshold is for what's successful enough this season to keep this all together?
1: The the thing you've always heard when they made the Gobert trade and from last year onward is getting to the second round is, is a big thing for this organization. So having enough to, to be a second round playoff team and cause kind of after that, it's like, you know, what's, you know, what's the matchup like, how, how healthy right. are you? But I think they want to build a, a good enough team to get to the second round, make us, deep playoff run potentially. And then I think that would be a successful season for this organization. Um, Now the fans can debate that. It's like, okay, we paid all this money to these guys and, you know, we made, we sacrificed all those draft assets to bring Gobert and second round is what you're aiming for. Not, you know, championship or bust. Right. Right. Um, But that's what you heard all of last year. And I think that's kind of still where they're, what they think is like an important benchmark for this organization is winning a playoff series, getting to the second round and, and then going from there.
0: And I don't think second round is their ultimate goal, but you're saying that's a stop along the way.
1: That's that's, it's an important marker. I'll say that having a team that's good enough to get into the second round. I think they'll feel at that point, like you're then in the mix to be, you know, a contending team at that point.
0: And that's going to require them, at least relative to whatever we see external expectation-wise. I mean, you look at the West, you look at projected win totals, expected win totals. There's a lot of teams expected to win more games than them. They, they slot in, at least according to what you would look at, more as a, a play-in team than a top-four team. Um, so that path to the second round is not going to be easy because the West is... is going to be better i think this year than it was last year or at least a little bit deeper i would imagine
1: it's deeper to me i mean you know i have my i did my power rankings which are you know always the most journalistically uh sound thing that i that they're I do very for the fraught Star yes Tribune. they're fraught i get it i get it <laughs> the the power rankings are up on startribune.com i put the wolves sixth yeah um i i I don't know. I I thought I would put them in the top four and I'd been kind of saying that, but as I, as I got closer, I was like, Oh, this team, I kind of like them better than the wolves. Oh, this team, I think they're really good if they stay healthy. Like I did a lot of that. It was like, Oh, if this team is healthy, you know, but a lot of these teams also have a lot of older stars on their team, you know, take the Clippers for instance, um, and the Lakers, the warriors, you know, are these teams going to make it through healthy? um same question for the wolves i mean yeah. you know, you know but i just think like the the top nine in the west could finish except for maybe you know the nuggets i think everybody just kind of assumes they're going to be the one seed right but the, the the order after that i think you could you could convince me that team x could be the two seed or like the eight seed like I, I, well, I really think it's like that—that that close between all these teams.
0: And that's kind of how last year was for a lot of it, right? Like four through thirteen for a while last year was only separated by like three or four games, and even two and three with I think Memphis and Sacramento in a lot of cases was just you know kind of um, kind of you know just kind of a a, a you know a, a mess a little bit. So and you don't you don't know what those two teams are going to have this season either. I think there's a lot of teams. There's some volatility, I think, in in how in how this all looks right now. How good is Oklahoma City going to be? Is Sacramento going to be as good as they were last year? What does Memphis look like with John Morant and what's his what's his status going to be all year? I think there's a lot of there's a lot of questions about there's a lot of teams in the West that could finish anywhere between I think you're right like 39 and 52 wins, and that's kind of a big that's kind of a big a zone big to be in.
1: <laughs> it, it really is, and it, it's also like how do some of these teams with an older core navigate the regular season? Like some of these guys miss time, yeah. Some of these guys do. Did, did Kevin Durant play in 75 games this year? You know, but how many games does LeBron play and A D play and Kawhi and Paul George and you know, all these guys like how many games are those guys going to actually play? Right. Is also going to I think matter when it comes to where these teams slot in at the end of the season, which is why I think you know, which is why I actually think the Wolves could finish higher in the Western Conference standings. Um, because they have guys that traditionally don't need load management days or won't take
0: uh, them, like Ant, won't he take he them want like Ant yeah. right?
1: You know, if, if Ant could play in all 82 games, he would, um, you know, as long as he's healthy enough. Um, so I think they have that going for them. I do think they have a good deep roster, yeah, as well. I, I, I like the bench, so I think that they can win games even if guys are out. Um, so I, I kind of think they're shape, they're shaping up to be a good regular season team. It's just, you know, once you get to the playoffs, it's not about how it's not about your floor in the in the playoffs. It's about yeah. your ceiling as a yeah. team and how good you can be in the playoffs. So you know, I don't know how they're going to match up against some of these teams. If all if if all these teams in the West have all their big guns kind of healthy for the playoffs. What does that look like? I think yeah. it's a different question than where the wolves are at the end of April. So they might be a better
0: regular season team than playoff team, which is what you said. I think last time we talked and I think they just released their on Monday morning, they just released their finalized opening day roster. I don't think there was a ton of surprises on there, but if you just kind of look at that, you do see a pretty deep team and, I don't think there's been much change but maybe let's just kind of run back through like when they play in Toronto on Wednesday night um you know we should we should expect to see a pretty a, a pretty loaded you know top 9 or top 10 right
1: we should we'll see if Jaden McDaniels plays right. he's been dealing with a calf injury uh an injury that the team said was minor but as of yesterday Chris Finch said he was mostly only doing one on Zero drills. Mm, um, that doesn't sound as good. Practice, that didn't sound good. No. Uh, if we learn anything from the calf injuries of Carl Anthony Towns and Jordan McLaughlin last year, it's that one on zero is like a step on the way that's back a, to And recover. it's a pretty early, it feels like a pretty so, early
0: step too. You got to go one on one, then three on three, then it's, five right, on five. It's, it's, yeah. kind of, it's,
1: kind of, it's kind of like, yeah, that's kind of like what the progression that Carl did last year, right? So, it, I mean, they haven't officially said anything yet. And I don't really have too much uh, info to add to that, but just based on that, I I would be surprised at this point if McDaniels was available on Wednesday night. Um, So just reading the tea leaves of that. So then
0: Alexander Walker, does he slide into the starting lineup in that scenario?
1: He would slide into the starting lineup. He did all preseason uh, when somebody was out. So I would assume he would be your primary on ball defender guarding the you're the other team's best scorer, Um, and you know, I think after that you're looking at, you know, like like shake Milton coming off the bench as your backup point guard, you've got Nas, you've got Kyle Anderson. Yeah. Um, and you probably slot in, you know, like Troy Brown jr. As your, yep. as your ninth guy at that point, we'll see where Jordan McLaughlin maybe fits into this picture as well. Sure. Um, and, uh, that's, that's your, that's, I think that's going to be your opening night rotation.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's still, that's still fine. It kind of shows you that even if they're missing a player or two, they should be okay throughout the season. doesn't feel like there's any specific spot where you're like, oh, they don't have depth there. I think the Milton signing is pretty important. I like, I like their, I like their backcourt depth and their point guard depth a lot more than it did last year.
1: Yeah, and he's they, they've been raving about him all camp. I mean, take this all with a grain of salt. Of course, yeah. It's training camp hype, but you know, they, they've been raving about the fit that Shake Milton is with this team and how they want to play. Um, they're giving him the green light to to shoot more, to seek his shot a little more, which you know, he didn't quite have maybe in Philadelphia um, with some other ball dominant players. But the way the Wolves run their offense is if somebody has an open shot and it's a good shot you take it. You don't, uh, you know, you don't always defer or, or, you know, keeping a defense honest by taking the open shots and hitting them is how this offense operates. So he is going to seemingly, they think fit right into that mold of how they want to play.
0: Well, it should be an interesting year. Final question for you. And I'm kind of mulling this too. Like as, as we think about the season and the next 50, 55 games, are these is this? are they going to be buyers or sellers when we get to the trade deadline? That's a, <laughs> that's a that's a way to
1: mark what we think of this team. Um I think they're going to be buyers cuz I think they'll be good enough to to make the playoffs and and they're not going to be I don't think they're going to be sellers. I mean again, injuries, you know, we don't know how things are going to play out. What, what the west looks like at that point in time but i just think you've you've committed so much to making this work that you know to punt on it after a year and a half without giving it another shot in the playoffs would be I, I i i don't know what the word would be but i feel like you gotta you gotta try to see this all the way through even if you just have a Slim chance of making that second round of the playoffs. Yeah. We've got to see
0: this all the way through. I think that's a good way to look at this season and kind of the arc that they're on right now. Chris Hine, good stuff as always. Appreciate it. Um, have a safe travel to Toronto and we'll catch up with you soon.
1: All right. Sounds good, Mike. See you later.
0: Appreciate the time from Chris Hine and apologies to Chris Hine. So sorry. He had to go to, uh, that 49ers Vikings game. He's a big 49ers fan <clears throat> and he, uh, surely left that game disappointed. Scheduling made it so that we had to record on, uh, Monday morning before practice, before the game, before Jaden McDaniel signed his five year, you know, 130 plus million dollar extension. The hedge was that we could, that I would still talk about it afterwards. Um, the notion going into the day that was the deadline day the notion going into the day was that it probably wasn't going to happen um so something probably changed in there the the sides got closer the wolves decided hey this is a guy that's too important to mess around with we got to lock him up long term unlike the vikings with justin jefferson where they you know they didn't have a hard deadline but they had a you know they had a going into the season deadline well hey we want to get him extended but that didn't happen on the eve of the season wolves get it done on the eve of the season don't carry that kind of question mark into next offseason he is signed now that does also mean that starting next year that's another big big contract on the books officially now we were already planning we were always planning for that to be the case I think the number is bigger, $27 million a year. I think that number is bigger than maybe it, we thought it was going to be, or at least I thought it was going to be. And so now you're talking about the Wolves definitely entering that kind of luxury tax, second apron kind of territory a year from now, unless something else happens salary-wise. And that's the big question. And that kind of goes back to what Chris and I were talking about. They need to prove it this year. If they're going to go into that territory... This is the time where they have to show that this is a team worthy of doing that or else there is going to be a move at the deadline or next off season. The logical candidate for that, I think we all know is Carl Anthony Towns. Something's got to give if they are going to break this up, if they are going to say, look, we got to send out some salary, get some, get some smaller pieces back that, that don't, that don't hit the cap so hard, especially in future years and try to go from there. So, That part of it is going to be fascinating for me to watch. Who is going to emerge this year? How good is this team going to be? Can they be good enough that they want to keep this all together for the long term? I think that's a fascinating thing to watch. It all starts Wednesday in Toronto for the Wolves. Let us finish with the cooler. Hey, the Astros are gone. That was another great part of... uh, of Monday night. They lose twice in Texas. Road team wins all seven games of the American League Championship Series. And you know what? In the media, we are not supposed to root. I was, you know, we we don't root for the home teams, we root for good stories. In the back of my mind, though, I am always happy when the Astros, the Cheaters, are eliminated from postseason contention. Yeah, I know it's been years since that scandal happened. I always carry it, though, in the back of my mind. I know not all the same players are there. I know not all the same you know, front office, manager, everything like that. I know a lot has changed, but you know what? I still don't think they fully paid the price for what they did, and I am glad that they are gone. Texas against either Philadelphia or Arizona, that Game 7 coming up. That will be your World Series this year. Who would have thought that at the start of the season? That'll do it for me today. Plenty more Viking stuff coming up tomorrow. Andrew Kramer will join me. Keith Rashad will join me for Vikings poetry. Um, some gopher stuff coming up later in the week as well with Randy Johnson. Lots going on here this week. Lots of fun stuff to talk about. It's fun to talk about different stuff, right? It's, it's fun to talk about not just these crushing losses and the seasons that are kind of in despair. We got new seasons starting up. We got the wild going, everything happening with the Wolves. Lots, lots of fun times here on Daily Delivery. I will be here for it. You will too. Back at it again tomorrow.